You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Yeah, buddy. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we continue our Anything But deer hunting series where we talk with Chris Powell of the Houndsman XP podcast. Now, the Houndsman XP podcast, like I mentioned in the episode, is one of the longest running shows on the Sportsman's Empire, and these guys do amazing things. And when I say they're the cream of the crop, I mean in their category when it comes to hunting with hounds, when it comes to coon hunting, when it comes to bear hunting, mountain lion hunting, anything that revolves around the, the uh, I guess, hunting with hounds, these guys are it, right? They're the first and they're the best. And so, and they've gotten to where they're at for a reason because of these things. And, and so on today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing the host of the podcast, Chris Powell and really what this episode is is it is a it's a continuation of the series right we're going to talk to chris about why he loves hunting with hounds why he loves the dogs why he loves this this lifestyle and the community that surrounds this lifestyle and uh, it's just a really good conversation outside of deer hunting and to be honest with you it's something that I really like to talk about because I feel like as outdoorsmen uh, we often and and Chris actually mentions this a, a little bit in the in the podcast is that there's a lot of times where we try to find differences with each other when in this scenario we should probably look more towards our similarities and there's a lot of people that right now that are trying to drive a wedge between hunters and we should actually be coming together as this one big voice one big community and uh and so that's why i wanted to get chris on and uh, man we talk about everything we talk about the barriers to entry we talk about the financial cost involved with getting something started as far as the price of a dog the price of the gear required the training the time all that stuff so it's a it's a very informative very good episode hopefully you guys enjoy it and if you're not interested in in coon hunting listen to the episode and just get it get a feel for the passion that chris has for what um for what he does and and i think uh those types of stories are just intriguing anyway so huge shout out to chris for taking time out of his day to hop on the podcast now before we get into today's episode though 
I am going to remind everybody that uh, we are putting a lot of these interviews on YouTube now. So if you want to see the video interview, uh, you can you can watch it there. You can continue to listen on your your uh, you know on iTunes or Simp- or uh, Spotify or wherever it is that you guys listen to your your episodes. Be sure to check uh, check it out on YouTube as well if you want more of uh, a visual aspect to this. Now, huge shout out to all the partners that support this podcast, and we're going to run through those real quick. If you're looking for a saddle. Go check out Tethered and the, the, the saddle hunting community that these guys have built. Uh, I, I talked with a couple of guys at the Iowa Deer Classic this year, and uh, it's just it just a lot of cool people who hunt the way that I hunt under this Tethered community. And so a uh, huge shout out to Tethered for building that and educating the you know, basically their customers on how to be a better hunter and outdoorsman in general while using their products. So uh, that's what I love about working with Tethered. So I'm going to be spending a lot more time in the the saddle this upcoming year, and I'm looking forward to uh, testing it out, flattening that learning curve, and then also talking with other people about what makes uh, Tethered so great. So uh, if you're looking for a, a, a saddle, saddle hunting accessories, platform climbing sticks, go check out Tethered's website. Wasp Archery, uh, the big dog in in the uh, hunting industry as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, these guys don't do the type of marketing, in my opinion. This is my opinion. These guys don't do the mark, like the, the flashy marketing. And I don't feel they need to, right? They, they don't have the big names. They don't have the, the huge budgets. But what they do have is a broadhead or a, a, a lineup of broadheads that are built of the highest quality and destroy everything that they hit. And so that's why I'm a huge fan of Wasp Broadheads. Um, so if you're if you're looking for a, um, you know, I don't I don't I don't care who supports it. All I know is that when I hit a deer with their broadhead, it's going to do what it's supposed to do and kill the animal. And so I have a lot to do with that too. But when you're a majority of your heads are still made in America, uh, you have the best material and some of the best and coolest designs. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Wasparchery.com, 20% discount code. Uh, 20% off discount code NFC20 and that gets you 20% off. Go buy your broadheads today. And Hunt Stand. Let's see, Hunt Stand. We're talking about this time of year. I'm get, I'm getting ready to go shed hunting tomorrow. Okay, so this is Monday when I'm recording this. Wednesday is when this will launch. So this means that if you're listening to this now, yesterday I went shed hunting. And I'm actually going to be doing a little scouting on this new farm that I have while I'm uh, doing this, I have yet to walk the entire farm. I have yet to, you know, just comb it through. And I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to drive the two hours or three hours it takes to get to this farm. I'm going to walk every inch of it. And then I'm going to be, you know, dropping pins. I'm going to be moving some stands. I'm going to be doing the bat, the whole battery thing with my, uh, you know, all the batteries 
that I need to change out of my trail cameras, just a ton of work. And I'm going to document all of that on HuntStand. And so HuntStand is just a, a great opportunity to journal and uh, document your all of your hunting properties along with being able to manage like uh, uh, trail camera pictures, you know, just educate yourself on the terrain and all of the surrounding terrain. Uh, on top of that, they have a new pro whitetail platform that everybody needs to get check out. So go check out huntstand.com. Last on the list of advertisers is Vortex Optics. If you are looking for, in my opinion, some of the best, highest quality uh, optics in the in the country in the world then you need to go check out vortex optics on top of that they have a an awesome lineup of optics accessories like the uh, cleaners and all the things you need on how to keep your optics maintained and uh, the education station that allows you to educate yourself on how to properly use and care for their products and uh, just it's just a really again like all the all the products that i've discussed vortex has this community and if you're part of this community you're going to be taken care of and that's why i like working with vortex optics so if you're looking for a pair of binoculars spotting scope range finder you name it they have it vortexoptics.com go check it out and last but not least this is and this is where i, I want to get serious for a moment if you're looking to give back in 2023, please go check out 2% for Conservation. It is a, a, a wildlife conservation organization at fishandwildlife.org. And so I'll be talking about more of that later this spring, early summer. And, uh, you know, we, we want to make sure we're giving back to the natural resources that we all take away from. So 2% for Conservation. All right. That is the commercials. That's the intro. Let's get into today's anything but deer hunting series episode with my man, Chris Powell. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the anything but deer hunting series. And today I am joined by one of the longest running members of the Sportsman's Empire, Mr. Chris Powell of the Houndsman XP podcast. Chris, man, how you doing? Good. The reason I'm the longest running is because I guess I I can't find a way out. <laughs> this thing's grown into something huge, Dan. I know. I know. I, I not only not only the empire itself, right? The the sportsman's empire, but the houndsman XP has grown into something that in your in your guys's industry and market is like the the cream of the crop, and I I think that's pretty cool, man. I'll tell you what, when we started, uh, when we launched, I remember the first conversation you had, we, or we had, you were like, man, if you get a hundred downloads the first week, you know, you should really be happy about that. And we crushed that. I think our first week we had 1500 downloads that week. And, and I don't think you knew what to say about that. Nope. And, uh, you know, now we're just, yeah, just piling up. So yeah. it's been wildly successful. And one of the original missions we had was to make this lifestyle more mainstream. And since we launched, I think last count, I think there's like 12 podcasts out there that are talking about hunting dogs and hunting with hounds specifically. Yeah. So yeah. yeah and you guys, good. you guys were number one, number one, we were the original. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so <laughs> dude, I, I, I get a kick out of, uh, got a, out of stuff like that. And so, yeah. um, for you know 
you're on the Nine Finger Chronicles. Just give everybody a little bit of update of what the Houndsman XP, like what what you are, what you're all about. Yeah, so I, I look at it as we are the voice for Houndsman and Hound Hunting. Houndsman did not have a platform that was getting their message out there on a on a broader stage, you know, out there to the world. There were tons of outdoor podcasts, but there was nothing that was talking specifically about who we are and what we do. And we were losing the narrative on some of that. We'd lost the narrative on it. I'd heard other people on different podcasts trying to talk about hunting with hounds and, yeah. and some big name podcasts out there that were trying to talk about hunting with hounds, but they weren't getting it right. Yeah. So we wanted to do it and get it right. And we wanted to uh, do a couple things there. We wanted to showcase and set set the record straight on who we are, but we also wanted to challenge people in our community to rise up and and be extreme performance. That's what the XP stands for is extreme performance. That is everything from how we train our dogs, how we care for our dogs, how we portray ourselves to the hunting public and, you know, getting involved in the conversations about wildlife management and bridging gaps between the hound hunting community and, you know, other, other genres, if you will, uh, deer hunters, duck hunters, all this stuff show why we are important to have on the landscape and why we as a hunting community as a whole all need to come together and, unify because there's plenty of people out there trying to take our freedoms away so that's what we're about yeah agreed and so look this is a question that just kind of popped into my head as you were explaining all this is there a difference when when you when you say hound hunting is there a difference between let's say using coon or using uh, dogs to tree coons and mountain lions and retrieval dogs like to go get pheasants and to go get ducks there is a difference but it's it's there's a lot of similarities too you know the the behavioral uh, process for dogs a dog is a dog and whether you're training a police dog or you're training a, um, a a hound to go out and tree lions and and raccoons those the training foundations are the same dog behavior is dog behavior. So, uh, the learning stages, the olfactory, you know, their ability to scent duck dogs, use scenting bird dogs, use, use their olfactory to scent their game. Hounds are, hounds are much the same. Okay. Awesome. All right. And so let me, let me ask you this. I want to, I, I want to yeah. kind of go back as far as you can remember. <laughs> And, and I know I just turned 54, Dan, I'm not sure. This is a setup. <laughs> well, the, the reason I'm asking this is because, you know, uh, we have, we're going to be having on this series, a lot of different people and some people, you know, like for me, I didn't pick up bow hunting seriously until I was 26. You know, I was, I would, I would have put myself in the f- fishing category more than the deer hunting category mm-hmm. up until then. And so, and this, this will help set a precedence for how long it takes an individual to get to, you know, the level that I would say you're at in, in hound hunting. How old were you when you started, uh, you know, working with, with hounds and, and doing this whole raccoon thing? 
Yeah, I was uh, I was 13 years old when I got my first hound that I could call my own. Uh, I tagged along. <clears throat> I tagged along on a on a couple hunts before then. I it was just something that that struck a nerve with me. I deer hunted, I've duck hunted, I've turkey hunted, but the one constant. Uh, I just think I'm a hunter, and my specialty has been uh, working with the hounds. So. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So 13 years old, your first dog. Now, picking up fishing, if I wanted to go, so for example, the the episode before you, uh, I had a guy on and I talked to him about fly fishing and the learning curve and things like that. But I don't need to try and keep a fishing pole alive. I don't need to feed a fishing pole. So now we have this entire other, other than learning how to use a dog to hunt. You also have to learn how to train a dog and you have to learn how to um, keep them healthy and all of that stuff. So what, what is a learning curve? Like if I said to myself, you know what? I like what Chris does. I want to use a hound and I want to train it to tree coons. What's a learning curve like that look like? Man, I'll tell you what we, um, our, our motto here is you never stop learning yeah you never stop learning um i hope i'm learning till they put me in the ground you know yeah um so it's hard to say what that looks like some people pick up things more naturally than others um trapping is one of those things that i've done but i wouldn't consider myself a trapper Mm -hmm. Uh, i guess it goes back to that saying that what is that saying you know uh champions don't do things till they get it right they do it till they can't get it wrong right you know so um when you watch a trapper somebody that's a great trapper i mean it just looks effortless what they do Mm -hmm. the way they make their sets the way you know everything they do and they're highly successful and i like finding those houndsmen that look make it look effortless yeah you know that when you see that guy at the, the at the tailgate and he's getting his hounds out and and stuff like that too I, that and and it's just effortless the dogs are well behaved they're highly effective at what they do you can tell that they've you know they're all all well trained and and beautiful dogs and well cared for they just make it look effortless yeah and that's what i'm still striving to do yeah okay now when it comes to let's just say getting your first your first dog to do something like this is there like first off before before i even get into like the species uh, or the breed of dog i want to talk about what a what an entry level uh, uh financial commitment looks like to jumping into a, a hobby like this <laughs> uh i it <laughs> It's one of those things that when you first start out, you know, when I was 13 years old, I came home with a dog on a leather collar. I can't remember exactly, but I do remember, you know, what that is probably a hand-me-down collar. Uh, but I didn't even have a leash, you know, I, I can't brought it home on a, on a piece of bailing twine, you know, that I, that I'd wrapped around its collar and we hauled it home in the back of the family station wagon, I had to sit in the back of the station wagon with it. So, um, 
and then most of the gear i've always been kind of a guy that um made gear you know i made yeah. tie outs i made uh took took pieces of chain and and we just dropped a podcast about tethering dogs this past week uh but yeah we tethered we tethered the dog out and i remember building the dog houses and and doing that sort of stuff you know that's when you're 13 and there's still a lot of of i still do a lot of that stuff uh but as far as the financial commitment for me in 2023, I'm, I don't really want to say on a public podcast because my wife might hear it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but for the benefit of everyone out there, I will reveal a few secrets. So to give you an idea, um, you know, just just an entry level. If you were going to if it, if you were going to get to where I'm at right now, I mean, I've got a four wheel drive truck. I've got a, and we know what those cost. I've got a dog box in the back of my truck that would retail for probably around $2,300. My tracking equipment, uh, one Garmin handheld, the newest 200i is $799. And then you've got $350 per collar after that. Uh, you've got extra antennas. And we're just, we haven't even got off of the X yet for you know, dog care and mm -hmm. cost of dogs and stuff like that. You know, it's, um, if you're feeding a high quality feed, then you can probably, I haven't done the math on this for a long time, but you know, the daily care of a dog is probably five to $10 a day. Yeah. You know, when you add in warmer and, and you just take the average, you yeah. know, then, then you're and housing the dog and different things. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very, big financial commitment without even talking about the time. So if you're a guy that looks at time as money, then you can even put, you can even up that, you know, so you're looking at thousands of dollars yeah. Yeah. to, uh, to keep, to keep these hounds. And then the price of hounds, um, is expensive too. Yeah. What's a pup? Uh, what kind of, what kind of dog do you have? Or do you have multiple? <laughs> I've got multiple. Okay. I've got, uh, I've got one yog terrier. And that's um, opened up a new front for me. Um, first one I've ever had, but I've got four other hounds. Okay. And five, yeah, four other hounds right now. And I've got blue ticks and I have plot hounds. Okay. And um, yeah, that's what I got. What, blue ticks and plots. Okay. So blue tick plot, um, what would be the average cost of a, a pup? And do, do male or female... Uh, like is one more expensive than the other no it's usually the same price male or female pup um i think our community is kind of stuck in a time warp because i can remember the days of of 200 puppies and a lot of people still think you can get puppies for that and that's <laughs> um yeah that's a pipe dream yeah um but um it's not uncommon to see well-bred pups from a good strong lineage if you can get them you know if, if you can get your hands on them to sell between five and eight hundred dollars for a puppy okay well that's that's ballpark well chris i'm gonna give you a little insight to my life my wife uh, decided she wanted to buy a cockapoo now a cockapoo doesn't tree coons it doesn't find nothing. sheds it does nothing except pee and poop in the yeah, house and, and eat and make me mad 
is really yeah. what it does. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, I was pulling for another, uh, like a lab or something. And, uh, I got, uh, we got a cockapoo and, uh, yeah. the, the influence, uh, I got influenced. I'll just put it to you that way to, <laughs> to, uh, to buy you got it. manipulated. Exactly. Buddy. Exactly. And so, um, now, now the financial investment is not like going to Walmart and picking up gear. All right. So it sounds like there is, um, s- some, some pretty big, well, fi- you, all right. So what was your price tag on your cockapoo that does nothing? Yeah. Seven, $1,700. Exactly. See, that has been one of my biggest, um, one of my biggest talking points for a long time when people complain about the price of puppies and that man we're paying twenty one hundred dollars for doodles Mm -hmm. that have no expectation other than to not shed and lay on your couch that's it yep yep Uh, and i'll be honest like i love dogs but i hate the dog that currently lives in my house. Like, I, I just don't, I, like, I don't Man, like. You're, I, I, I thought I was going out on a limb by talking about the money. You're, you're laying it down. I, well, I everything that I've said to you, I've also said to my wife. So uh, it's full disclosure here. Um, I get it. So when it comes to, and I'm just going to continue with uh, an activity like, you know, letting dogs loose and letting them go after hogs or coons or, you know, other predators. Is there a way to do it cheaper where, you know, like you can just have them on a leash and have them uh, in the front of your truck and you, you just let them out without a collar or a tracking device and then you just kind of follow them? Sure, you can do that. Uh, I don't know of any serious... The deal, the thing is that I I think it's lost on the unaware a lot of times is how much these dogs mean to us. Yeah. You know, how, how important they are to us. You look at, you look at some of the people that I know they've been working their whole lives and they're, you know, maybe seven, eight, 10 generations in on a breeding program. Mm -hmm. And they've, they've honed those genetics to the point where. Uh, that's been their life's work and and so not only that but like every one of my dogs means something to me it's 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 not a anthropomorphic i love my dog type thing but it it, i've got an emotional investment in them and i've got a a lot of time investment in them and they they they're important to me they're they're important for my um my mental well-being i recognize that so when you take something that is that important, you're not going to haphazardly go out there and just turn it right. loose where you, where you can't keep track of it and you can't be there. A dog has no awareness that there is a busy road, you know, a quarter mile in the, in the direction that it's headed chasing its quarry. So with that tracking equipment, then I can get to the point where I can, I can get my hands on them and keep them safe um they have no concept of of caves and and you know mine shafts in west virginia and stuff like that so all that tracking equipment is crucial for us to be able to to keep our dogs in those locations the same thing we were hog hunting in in uh, louisiana last week and um we had a hog swim the river and this river was up and it was swollen. It was, I caught 
we caught three dogs off the edge. One dog got, two dogs got past us. One made it all the way across the river and got onto another piece of property that we didn't have permission to be on. And so this dog is looking at the hog. The two dogs that went in the river, I recall one, got my hands on him, got him back in the thing. The other dog swam. He's looking at a hog and with the, with the ability of our equipment, you know, I gave them a tone where an audible tone and boom, the dog lifts its head up. I give it another tone. It jumps back in the same swollen river and swims back across it to keep him off of a place that we knew we couldn't go to. Right. Right. So it's a deal where can you do it? Yes. I mean, you can, you can get rid of tree stands and, and um, you know, all the technology and modern hunting and go back to atlatls and, Yep. and uh stick bows if if that's what you choose but some that's not for everybody and for right. me as a serious houndsman i'm not going to turn a dog loose without that the ability to to offer the safety factor and the control and and just be a a a, a good caretaker of, of a trust i've been given in that hound right all right so I'm aware of the financial investment on not only buying the dog, but getting the, the gear to make it um, fun and exciting and, and, and then safe for not only people, but for the dogs as well. Now it comes to the training point. All right. What does training for a dog from pup to first time on a track job look like? Listen to the Houndsman XP podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's not a it's yeah. not a one minute answer. <laughs> no, no, we spent. I think we're in. I think we dropped three hundred and thirteen episode three thirteen tomorrow, and that's what the podcast has been about uh, for several years. So, um, it's a daily commitment. It's a uh, when they're puppies, then you know you're trying to do different things with those dogs you're trying to um, you know set life lifelong behaviors for those dogs everything from uh, you know doing the scent work to uh, scent recognition um, to handling to being able to ride in a box with you know make that dog a good citizen mm-hmm. uh, you're talking about recall you're talking about but a lot of the instinctive stuff to track and and hold their quarry at bay or in a tree until you get there a lot of that stuff is genetic that's gen you can hone it but it's instinctive for the dog to do that yeah so you really can't you really can't teach the tracking portion of it you can do things to um enhance their interest in certain sense uh smells odors but as far as the reason, the, the thing that sets my hound apart from your Labrador is their instinctive nature to track, gotcha. to trail game. Uh, the, the Labrador or my boxer even can smell the same thing. It, it could smell where the coyote peed on the bush. And you, you dump a hound, a lab, and a, your cockapoo out there, and they're all going to go over there and they're going to smell it. Well, the instinct for the hound is to, okay, I've got this scent here. There's a track leading away from it, so I'm going to trail it. And the instinct is not the same in the lab and the and the cockapoo to do that. Gotcha. Okay. 
And so is this a, is this a year process? Is this a two year process? Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. There's a, there's a, always a question that pops up among houndsmen and it's like, uh, we call them finished hounds. You know, when a hound is, is a finished hound, it can go out and it can do its job. It can locate game. It can track, it can tree. And a lot of times we try to put an age limit on that. And my answer is always a hound isn't finished until it's dead. You know, a dog, an old dog can learn new stuff. So, and you can see that development throughout their lives. Their skill sets may change a little bit and their physical abilities may change as far as, you know, it, it takes a, a, a lot to stay in a bear race or a coyote race or a hog race. And just like us, the age catches up on these things. They may develop a different skill set, but it's still there. So, yeah. you know, ideally people like to see hounds doing their job by 18 months old okay you know and being being able to be successful by 18 months old and that threshold moves up and down for different people um the thing that i look for in dog training is not necessarily the 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 ability to track and tree and do all that stuff by a certain age i look for those glimpses of greatness within that puppy you know you're sitting there and you're watching it and and you see it do certain things, like do a sin hook on a, uh, a piece of, like I'll scatter dog food out in the grass. And I'll just, scat, it's called scatter feeding. And that, what that does is it wakes up that nose. And they start to think, okay, when I use my nose, there's something good that's going to happen when I use it. And so you'll turn puppies out there and some are slower than others. And then some are really fast at figuring it out. So they'll be running across the yard and all of a sudden you'll see it that we call it a scent hook. They'll get there and boom, that nose will go up and they'll just turn that head. And it's like they turning themselves inside out and boom, they're, they're locating that, that kibble that you scattered in the grass. Okay. Uh, you know, things like that. So you look for those moments of greatness. You look at, you know, you've got them out on a walk all of a sudden, you know, they're over here smelling at the base of the tree and they're standing up on a tree and they're trying to, trying to find out what's going on and, they're locating at that point. And so you're looking for behaviors like that in those puppies. Okay. So that's how I, that's how I gauge, you know, which puppies I want to work with, which ones are more natural, which ones are, you know, those, those types of behaviors is what I'm looking for. And I can, if I get excited about that, I can hang in there with a dog till they're a little bit older to really develop those skills. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, we've kind of set the foundation then of kind of what it takes to get, uh, get ready and the time, you know, not only financially, but the time investment to get to the point where, uh, you can get out and start doing some of these things. Is there different training methods for a hog versus a coon versus a mountain lion versus a bear? The basics are all the same. Track, okay. track, trail, tree. Gotcha. You know, uh, track, trail, bay. I've seen phenomenal dogs that, uh, hogs, let me get this out. I've seen phenomenal dogs that could catch hogs that were also great bear dogs. Okay. Uh, I've seen some bobcat dogs that were very good lion dogs and lion dogs that, that made good bobcat dogs. But the, the key ingredient there is their ability to track trail and tree, you know, locate a track, trail it through adverse conditions and bring their quarry to bay or tree. 
So uh, when you start getting into the different aspects of it, you know, there's guys that I use, I run multi-purpose dogs because I don't have hogs and I don't have bears and I don't have lions. So I use dogs for multiple species. Um, that will drive some people crazy. The last thing you want to do, and it drives people crazy if you've got a dog that doesn't realize it's bear hunting mm -hmm. and it gets treed, um, you know, a thousand yards through a Wisconsin swamp <laughs> on a raccoon. Yeah. You know, that is frustrating. So, but I have found, and I've, I've done this, police officers in the military has been doing it for police dogs and military dog handlers have been doing this for, for decades. The gear association, you want a dog that's smart enough to know, uh, you know, what they're out there for. Gotcha. And by repetitive gear association, using certain, certain gear for certain applications, then boom, they, they start to pick up on it. It's not going to be instant, but like my dogs know, I, my blue tick female is a prime example. She knows the difference between we're, we're coon hunting right now because it's dark and and i handled them differently at those times than when she's riding around on the rig or you know up on my dog box trying to locate a a bear track mm -hmm. she's not strike she may she may give me some some barks on a coon but i can tell the difference gotcha so yep you can't you can do scent discrimination work there and and know what you're getting all right it's not 100 percent. i'm not going to say i've got it nailed down 100 percent. i'll still have a have a young dog that that finds that opportunity he's screaming across a a swamp and boom there's a raccoon track and he's like ah oh, you know yeah, yeah that that's that's aggravating at times but it's part of it you're there right. to hunt right so let's talk a little bit you know about why you have stuck with it all these years what is it about hound hunting that you love so much Mm. You know that uh, it used to be. It apply. It, this applies to any anything that you're hunting. You know, you go through the different stages of hunter development. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was a kid and I brought that first coonhound home, uh, that coonhound probably could have made something if it had somebody that knew what it was doing with it. Right. You know, right. So, uh, but I was excited. I was just excited to have a dog and be in the game. So it's a lot like that shooting phase when you, when you first start hunting, you just want to, you, you like shooting. Mm -hmm. And as you progress through that, your, your priorities change and things, things become different. I can tell you that the most rewarding thing for me has been the relationships I've built over the years with other houndsmen. And, um, I always talk about the fact that I could drive from the East coast to the West coast and never pay for a hotel room if I didn't want to, Yeah, you know, just staying with, staying with other houndsmen. My home has opened up to them and their home has opened up to me. So number one, it's got to be the relationships. Um, it used to be, you know, developing that hound and, and getting the most out of that hound. And, and I still enjoy that, but it's, it's not the, if, if you're going through this life and you're, you're only doing it for yourself, man, you're missing so much, yeah. you know, it's, uh, so, so training hounds is, is rewarding. It, it is a challenge. You know, you, you, 
you look at some people that have spent their life breeding those hounds that uh, are highly effective, very good at what they do. And it always comes back to relationships, though, because I don't care who you are. Even if you're a, a top breeder of, of performance dogs, you need a network of people out there that can take your dogs and your puppies and get the most out of them so you really know what you've got. And if you're going to hunt multiple species of game, you know, I, I, I'm going to hunt with a friend next week in, in Kalispell, Montana. So, nice. you know, it's got to be, it's got to be the relationships. Gotcha. Okay. Now I look at my dog as a pet. All right. It, it falls under the pet category and I look at what you have and I almost see it almost, I guess the 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 label i would give one of your dogs would be like a tool uh mm -hmm. okay so where do your hounds kind of rank on this scale of pet and tool the uh, utilitarian you know that's that's what i think the further we get away from the farm the less we understand you know, utilitarian use of animals. Yep. Um, that's a Mike Thorman quote. And that's what he uses to describe why people have such a hard time understanding, you know, people that hunt, people that use use um, use the land the way, the way hunters do. Um, but it's not strictly utilitarian for me. You know, I've seen grown men sit down and cry over a lost dog. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, tough guys. Yeah. Tough mountain guys in Appalachia that uh, maybe a dog was, was fell off of a, a bluff or it was, you know, it does happen. They get killed by a bear or a hog or a mountain lion. And I've seen that. So to say that it's, you know, if I break if I break a tool, I may be upset, but I can replace that tool. Yeah. You know, I can go to Lowe's tomorrow and get a new DeWalt, you know, DeWalt drill. It's not that big a deal. Uh, I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to want to spend the money. But but when you take something that you've got so much time invested in and you've learned to read them and they've learned to depend on you for all the things that you need, um, these dogs, these dogs are more than just tools. They're they're like I said earlier, they're they're good for my mental well-being. Um, we know we've all seen a rise in awareness on companion dogs and stuff like that. Well, houndsmen have been doing that for, you know, centuries. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We know, we know what it brings. Um, so it's more than, a, more than a tool and more than I I've seen dogs where they look up and they see you coming because they've got a, a rough bear bait or they've got a, they've got a, uh, uh, hog bait or a mountain lion in a tree or a coon in a tree and it's like you see that excitement level go up because oh they're here you know if he finally got here yeah you know yeah. they get a little more they get a little more brave and they get a little more energized and and stuff like that so there's more than a, than a you know a, i've got several tools here and if i break one i might be pissed off but i'm not gonna cry about it yeah i got you all right yeah. so let me ask you a kind of a final question this is a this is an opportunity for you to throw a sales pitch type comment out there for everybody listening why should 
somebody consider if not buying a dog and starting the whole process because that's that seems to be complicated if not you know jumping in feet you know head first into the world of 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 houndsmanship maybe talk a little bit about maybe going on a coon hunt or going on a lion hunt and watching what these dogs do give us a sales pitch about that stuff uh, Brad Luttrell from Go Wild had never hunted bears with hounds before, mm-hmm. and uh, he and Derek came Tolls come out came out and hunted with us in Virginia, and um, they had a blast. Mm-hmm. We had a blast taking them. Um, so it was something that was new for them. It was something that they came with an open mind. Uh, they learned a lot. They learned how demand physically demanding it can be. Uh, a lot of the things that we battle a lot of times is listening to people try to say that, that hunting with hounds is easy or it's not fair chase. I would recommend reaching out to Brad Luttrell and asking him or reading some of the things that he's written about it. Mm -hmm. He's, he's written a lot about that. And, um, but be open-minded about it. You know, there, there are, there are people out there who are just as passionate about what they do as you are about, uh, you know, hunting whitetail Mm -hmm. or, or, and it's a, it's an investment. It's, it's not something that we need to, you know, pigeonhole or, or try to put up barriers between, between us, go experience that and, and find find those people that um that you you feel find people that you you would want to spend time with you yeah. know and and spend that time it's it's going to be a good time one of the one of the best hunts i do every year i don't own a beagle here but one of the best hunts i do every year is go to the up in michigan and um and hunt hair with with some guys with beagles and it's just a good time. You know, you, you go out and you hunt for a little bit. A lot of times we're sitting right there in camp and we're listening to the hounds screaming on a hair around us. And, uh, you know, we're cooking good food and we're having a good time. And it's not always like that, but, but, um, this management that we do, the wildlife management that we do is important to the bigger picture of, every ungulate species out there, every elk, every bighorn sheep that the wild sheep foundation is turning loose. They, they need houndsmen. We're, we are doing stuff for uh, wildlife management in California right now with, with UC Berkeley trying to figure out where to put land bridges in because there's a, an isolated uh, population of mountain lions that is becoming genetically inbred. Uh, the work, that houndsmen are doing in Central America and South Africa and even the Florida panther population. So there's important work out there that's being done. And if you don't go experience it and you only let people on social media form and shape your opinions of what's going on, we as a hunting community are going to lose a very valuable asset that we have in wildlife management. And that's everything from, you know, coon hunting in the east for waterfowl, upland game bird hunters and turkey hunters to big game ungulate hunters in the west that are, you know, that, that the mountain lion has to be managed to, to 
game on this uh african safari you know the the grasslands in the in the africa for the leopard you know there's there's valuable management work that's being done there so don't let your opinions be shaped and formed by social media and what you know a facebook question go out and experience it for yourself and go with with top houndsmen that that can show you the whole picture awesome awesome well i tell you what uh chris man i I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to to uh give us this information and and the 411 on what uh what you do and how you do it and and what it what it's like to be a houndsman man so i appreciate your time you bet dan is an honor thanks for everything you do for sportsmen i really appreciate that you know we've you build a great, great network here, and that's what it's all about is building those bridges. I've met some great guys from from Sportsman's Empire, and, and uh, yeah, thank you. And there you have it. Huge shout-out to Chris. Man, I really appreciate everything you do for the network. Really appreciate uh, your podcast and taking time out to get interviewed today. Huge shout-out to Tethered Wasp hunt stand vortex and the two uh, percent for conservation please go out and support the co- uh please go out and support the companies that support this podcast that means a lot to me go to itunes leave a five-star review let everybody know that the nine finger chronicles is a badass podcast where not only will you be educated but you'll be entertained as well on top of that man it's all about the good vibes right good vibes in good vibes out and we'll talk to you next time Thank you.